need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome to Spielberg Chronologically. I mean, the name says it all. My name is Jeff. And I am Eric. And hey, how's it going? Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, We're watching all Hitchcock. Nope. Nope. Spielberg's movies in chronological (laughs) order. And um, boy, howdy. And we got a good one for you today. We watched Jaws from 1975. Have you heard of this one? Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's a little known film. Uh, you know, not, not many people have seen this one. No, it's, it's, uh, I'm having a hard time coming up with a good metaphor for this. So if, if everything that we've watched up until this point was Spielberg in his chrysalis, this is him bursting out as a brilliant butterfly. butterfly. He is a butterfly. It is, it is somebody like hitting their point of maturity in the most spectacular way possible. And and until until I rewatched Jaws, I didn't realize what a huge evolution it was. Like what a gigantic step forward. The last movie was the Sugarland Express, which was okay, and it had some cool things in it. Yeah, but it's a it's a fine movie. It's fine. but this this is uh, something else. This is this is Spielberg like showing his ass in a huge way. You know, like, like, oh, I got this, throwing the ball up in the air, just fucking cranking it across the, you know, home run. You know, like, yeah, it's this it's is... really a ridiculous uh, show of power. So I mentioned last week that I don't know if I've actually seen Jaws all the way through. And as I started it yesterday, I was pretty confident because I didn't remember this opening sequence at all. Where the girl runs Chrissy. from, Christy runs and... It goes skinny dipping, and then the boy is too drunk to get in, and then she gets eaten by a shark. I don't remember that at all. So this are- is this, this is stunning to me. It's all <laughs> I, I think. I think it's like probably how a hardcore Christian would feel if somebody sat there and said, "What's the Bible?" You know, like like to me, or what's John three sixteen? I've never right. heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> right, so- right. Like I've got it memorized. Like I think I can go through. You know. Where are we going? Swimming. You know, I could do like the whole movie, you know, end yep. to end. So, uh, so yeah, we're coming at this from two very different perspectives. And uh, I, I'm really interested to, to hear what you thought. That being said, I've seen large portions of it, right? So sure. um, just through it being on at some point or I don't know. Like I have very, there's a moment later on in the movie that as it started happening i'm like my childhood came back to me cuz i had this memory of and i thought it was one of the later jaws movies of someone swimming underneath one of the sharks looking inside and there was a man in there operating it interesting and, I just, and but that was my childhood brain misinterpreting a scene from this movie oh and it kind of when i saw it, i'm like okay now i know i definitely haven't seen every minute of this movie before because 
my brain finally put that together. And but of course, you know, I when he pulls the final shot at the end of the movie, I say the iconic line. Like I'm familiar enough with that, right? There's a certain like cultural cachet that this movie has where you can't miss it. It's just like how you know all the Elton John songs. You know, yeah. like like you just learned them from being in the grocery store. You know, like that that like there's a certain collateral that Jaws has in American probably world culture where you kind of just can't get through life without experiencing some of these, you know, we're going to need a bigger boat moments. Right. Smile, you son of a, the music. I mean, the Jaws theme is iconic. I mean, yeah. But what got me, what really hooked me, if you will, um, is the characters, right? So one of the reasons I think I didn't actually ever sit down in my adult life and watch this is, one, I felt like I knew it, right? I'm, I'm familiar enough with Jaws. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. And just being like, I don't really want to watch a shark movie where there's barely any shark. Why do I want to watch that? And so this, so I noticed on Twitter, like you posted a thing, you had your projector up, you had a movie night. Right, I, I did. was kind of yeah, jealous. I, I, was I did jealous. it, man. I went there. I went I was, there. I was, yeah, I was like, okay, he's that. So when I saw that, because I happened to be watching about the same time, I, I have a not to brag, friend of mine gave me a really nice ultra wide monitor. Uh, and some movies fill up the whole screen. Jaws happened to be one of them. So I turned my monitor, and I had this little recliner seat behind me where my son usually sits, and I, I kicked the stand up threw a blanket on and just watched Jaws and it was magical um yeah it was such an enjoyable experience and for me where why this movie separates itself from obviously you know trash like Sharknado Piranha any other shark movie is the characters right if I didn't care about the characters I this movie would stink uh, you, not stink. Because it would be a B movie. It would it would be just a standard B movie. Like, a, it would be a standard summer blockbuster, right? Even though yeah. a lot of people say this is the first ever summer blockbuster, but there's a lot of summer blockbusters that you've seen. Like, uh, yeah, I remember, like iRobot, which I love. But it's like, yeah, okay, those special effects are there. That's fine. Yeah, now, this it's a cool movie. Yeah, yeah, but this has. The characters and also the the shark, despite all the trouble with it, and there are, you can count on one hand the times where the shark kind of looks dumpy, really on one finger I think, um, but it just is so paced perfectly. It and is normally yes. if I watch okay the the. Most recent American film just called Godzilla, not King of the Monsters or anything. I hated yes. that movie. One, because they killed Brian Cranston, who was the only intriguing character, yes. which would have helped drive it forward. But the monster's barely in the movie. To be clear, I also hated the movie very much for the same reason. And if I'm going to watch a Godzilla, and, and say what you want about the 98 Godzilla, at least God. Maybe it's not even Godzilla. Fine, whatever. That but dinosaur thing was in the movie. It's yes. in the movie. All right? At least he's in the movie eating cars and stepping on things. And I would rather watch that over the modern remake. 
But this kind of is the exception. Like the shark is barely in the movie. And yet he's this presence and probably my favorite kill in the movie. He's not even shown because it felt like this is what would happen in real life. And and was that was that Chrissy or the what, uh... the little boy? When you just see oh, dude, the mound Kinder. of water, and yes. then it it then the the red, and it's like it just felt realistic to me. Like yeah. you you would be on the shore, and you wouldn't be able to tell exactly what happened or who was hurt. And I love and, the way the crowd reacts when that happens because they're like, "Did you see? Did you see that? Like, yeah. like you know, like kind of can't even believe their eyes. They're not necessarily able to kind of comprehend what's going on." It reminds me of this time uh, when I was younger. I was uh, driving down in Clintonville, which is a, an area here in Columbus that you don't know because you don't live here. Right. Doesn't matter. I was coming down a hill, and at the bottom of the hill was an upside down fire truck. Jeez. <laughs> and there was not normally an upside down fire truck at the bottom of that hill. And it broke my brain. You know, like, like I, I was just sitting there like, what is that a wall? Did somebody build a wall? Like, I just couldn't comprehend what I was seeing. And then after yeah. a minute, you know, like my brain flipped it right side up. And I was like, what the hell? Oh, my God, a fire truck flipped. But just in that moment when something so incredibly unexpected happens, like you just can't even comprehend what's what's going on and that's what that scene kind of captures those people on the beach like did you do what like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> what and what was that you know so and kind of looking back and so i another friend of mine in his house he has movie posters like three of them right in his dining room and it's like indiana jones i think gremlins and jaws and he, oh, everyone raves about jaws right you rave about jaws it's your favorite movie Jaws, Jaws, Jaws. It has this, and again, it's 75. It's before my time. Um, whereas, like, Back to the Future is in my wheelhouse, right? right I'm like, How? Right, right. I have a friend who hasn't seen Back to the Future, and I was like, you got to watch it. And he watched it and loved it. And that's this with me, I think. And But I also was like, it's just a shark movie. Granted, it was, like, the first one. You know, I kind of have this opinion, like... Uh, sometimes the first thing gets this like big, you know, uh, Tolkien, right? Everyone loves Lord of the Rings as a fantasy writer or a reader. I find that more modern fantasy authors are better, mostly because they've learned from Tolkien. And I think that I kind of put Jaws in this category of, well, it was a big deal because it was like the first like shark movie, right? Right, right. You know, but it's more than that. It just Richard Dreyfus and Roy Schneider and uh, and you help me with the other main actor, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, yeah. It's so good. They're just it, brilliant. It yeah. is. <laughs> it is so good. And you know, I'm gonna have a hard time because I don't like. It's such a disgust movie. It, it's you know, so culturally relevant. Um, like it's hard to find things to say about Jaws that haven't been said like a hundred million times, you know? Right. Um, like I wrote, I wrote a term paper about Jaws when I was in college. Uh, it's, it's that level of presence in it's, it's star Wars, you know, it's just something yeah. that's just like, enormous. what do you say about the original star Wars? 
right that hasn't been said right. a, a million times and i don't want to spend an hour just saying it was brilliant <laughs> it's brilliant but i mean it it is okay. really brilliant are there any things that you would point out and say that's bad or not good or aged poorly no okay no, it, and I, I, I went, I went into it yesterday specifically with that lens. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, yeah, because I know this movie inside out. I've seen mm. it 50, 60 times. You know, uh, I was like, I'm gonna try to look at this with fresh eyes and look at it like through a c- critical lens, and, and and just say, you know, like like try to pick because I was gonna ask you the same thing. You know, what mm. in the movie didn't work for you? I only there's, have one answer for that. There's one shot. And that's when the shark is jumping onto the back of the boat that, that, you know, and they knew in that moment when they were filming it, that it didn't work, but they had no choice. They had to go with something. That's what they had. It's not like they could see. And it doesn't ruin anything. It is because it, it's almost like a peek behind the curtain more than it is funny. Like I didn't go, ah, (laughs) that looks terrible. Like it wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't that bad. It just was like. It's yeah, surrounded by everything else being kind of amazing. And then, as far yeah, as the shark interactions and stuff. And then it goes into the next shot, which is like perfect. You know, so right. so you you quickly forget, like, oh, that's that's a slightly corny moment. Yeah, and plus it's in the middle of like this tent. Well, so it like stops in that moment, right? You you've had a shark attack or whatever, and then it's kind of still, and then that happens, and it's back to this hyper. Tense. One of the things I found in this movie, again, I know what was going to happen. I know who dies. I know who lives. And so that tension was gone. But I was still tense watching the scenes, watching the shark scenes, knowing when exactly spoilers. One, two, three. Quint was going to die. I... I was still like, woo, like the the boat's leaking and and the sharks hitting it and they're sinking in the boat. The story of the boat just gradually declining in quality. Um, You know, like it starts off, it's kind of a ratty boat, right? It's kind of ratty, but it's seen some things kind of like Quint. It's almost like, it's like a parallel, almost a a visual metaphor of Quint's mental health in this movie, (laughs) right? He's kind of kooky and crazy and a little busted, but he's got character and he knows how to get the job done, right? But by the end of the movie, the boat's smoking and shooting fire and sinking. Quint has completely lost it at one point because he's he's losing to this shark and he's never lost to a shark before. And uh, I, I just found that that parallel just dawned on me right now talking about it works really well uh, to describe Quint's mental state. It's it's absolutely perfect, and and you know like I I thought a lot about Quint during this this viewing because you know when I did see this movie the first time I was pretty young, and since then I've just you know I have known what's happened and I take it on a surface level, and yes, it works for me every time. Mm-hmm. There are certain movies where my brain just turns off and I kind of like willingly forget what happens and I get caught up in the tension every time. Uh, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is another one. You know, it works for me every single time. Um, But yeah, Quint, you know, like, he is going crazy. He is super frustrated. And he has stakes. Like, he has this history. Uh, You know, like, he knows firsthand 
what happens when somebody loses to a shark and just watching him become more and more frantic and more and more determined and wild-eyed and and the reaction of the other guys around him like what is it like to be in a survival situation where you're fighting for your own survival and that's not the motivation of you know one of the three people because i don't think quint is fighting for his own survival he's fighting to kill that shark like it's not about who lives and who dies that shark's gotta go and and so his top priority is not the safety of the people on his boat at all and he makes that pretty pretty apparent you know 40 minutes before the film is over when he smashes the radio and was like, no, no, we're here. Oh, we're, we're doing this, you know? It's so good. <laughs> I can't imagine being a character like like Brody. Like, at least Richard Dreyfus's character has the confidence of the ocean. You know, like he... He's somewhere in between, right? You've got yeah. the hothead in Quint, and then you've got the scaredy cat in um, Roy Scheider's character. And then the, the guy in the middle is... Um, Schneid, golly, Dreyfus, Dreyfus. Thank you, Richard Dreyfus. For some reason, Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfus's names always swap, and I'm like, Roy Dreyfus, Richard Schneider. But um, he's the 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 brains of the operation. He seems to be analytical, and he knows when he's in control. And I did, their dynamic is so awesome, and it is, and yeah. it's really interesting because he does he is at odds with Quint a lot because they have two different, very different skill sets of nautical, you know, experience. But at certain points, there is some crossover between the two, and they can speak in this kind of shorthand that Brody doesn't have. Like mm-hmm. when the when the shark first starts ramming the boat and water's coming in, Quint just looks at him, and says, "Pump him out." And, and Dreyfus says, already done. You know, and they both know what they're talking about because they yeah. have this shared experience. But, but you know, Brody is like, I don't go in the water. I don't go on the water. I sit in my car on the ferry. This all sucks. <laughs> I like it. He's right before, you know, that iconic, uh, you know, bigger boat line where he's he's just kind of like a petulant kid. Go chum. And he's like, ah, fuck. I'll come down here and chum this shit. Like I, like, he's just not happy to be there at all. <laughs> did now, you did you know about that moment when when he's chumming and the shark pops up? Like, did oh, yeah. you expect it? Okay. So that's like that's the the problem is is maybe not the problem, but I'm familiar with all of those beats, right? Yes, it's all the stuff in between that kind of like. I mean, like if someone, it'd be like if someone had never really seen Jurassic Park all the way through, but you know they know the handful of Malcolm lines. They know must go faster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, they know that the the yeah the scene of the, I mean the dino the T Rex chomping at the mirror um, is so iconic. You know, um, and it's kind of like that. And so it was good to fill in all the blanks, um, but there were no. I did have a jump scare. When was that? Was it Ben Ben uh, Ben's head in the uh, in the boat when Dreyfus is diving down there and he's going to go see what happened to the boat? He's looking at the hull of the boat. No, because that I knew that's the scene I was talking about. So okay. we'll talk about that real quick. So that scene where he's un- there's a there's an abandoned boat and Dreyfus says he wants to look at the hull, so he goes underneath and he's looking in the hole, and that's when my brain clicked as a child. Oh, uh, because- okay. So. In my mind, this was a scene from a later Jaws movie where the shark was 
and this is totally just me making this up as a kid, where the shark was controlled by a human that lived inside the shark. And that head <laughs> popping out was the person operating it. They were still alive in my brain. They were mm, driving the shark. And so when this happened, I'm like, my brain finally set, pulled that from the past, put it in the right location, cleared up all the stuff about the guy being alive and be like, oh. So, and I think it's because maybe this movie scared me as a young, young kid, you know, because it came out before I was born. So who knows yeah. when I first caught a glimpse of it. And that scene embedded itself on my brain. And then my brain, not knowing the context, tried to put it all together. And yes. that's what I came up with is is the movie I'm going to make one day is Jaws, but it's a guy driving a shark around the ocean. Um, it's funny you talk about the, the child childhood perceptions because we talked about the exorcist a few episodes ago and, and and how difficult that is to kind of face up to and watch after having these images as a child and jaws was very much the same way for me at least uh you know i was three when this movie came out so it was kind of it, it, as soon as my consciousness awoke and i started making memories jaws was there and it was a steady presence through a lot of my childhood like the theatrical run of this movie was like three years long like it just yeah. went on and on and on and pre, uh, is this pre vhs or like early vhs this is <laughs> this is pre pre vhs yeah. like way pre vhs so the so, only real home movies were on reels at that point exactly yeah 100 okay. percent. yeah and and so th actually the first jaws film i saw was jaws 2 i went to a next door neighbor's house and they had hbo and i did not or showtime hbo didn't exist yet that's how far back we're going yeah. showtime Wait, was there. showtime predates hbo uh, in my neighborhood, yeah, everybody had Showtime. <laughs> everybody okay. had Showtime, and and I think I think I think yeah, just across I the board. I work in the cable service, so I think I'm a mild expert. I'm pretty sure HBO was first, but I could we're be gonna, wrong. We're gonna have in to look my it up. brain. HBO's the first ever premium channel, then Disney, and then everyone else. But ooh, ooh, I think that's way off. Okay, I think right. that's way off. The guy I've been working in this. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna figure it out. You talk about what you were gonna talk about. Well, okay. So my first my first experience was with Jaws too, and, and it's uh you know some of the same characters. Brody is back. His wife is back. Um, you know Dreyfus and Shaw are obviously not in it. Um, but you know it is an Amity, yeah, and so on, and so. It was a long time after that, because I was maybe eight or nine when I saw that. And it was a long time before I saw the first Jaws film. But just seeing anything in the Jaws universe, like, broke my brain when I was a kid. I remember floating in the swimming pool on a raft in a freaking swimming pool and being worried that that thing was going to come up from beneath yeah. me and, and get me. You know, That's me in showers with the, the shower scene. Like, just, I was, but I think... And maybe this, I don't know if you can relate to this for Jaws, but the shower scenes kind of was mythic for me. And then I said, well, I'm just going to keep watching it till it's not scary anymore. Um, and then that's kind of why Psycho lives where it does in my, my brain. Um, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> that, shower, that shower scene kind of, you know, that still messes with me on occasion. HBO too. and Cinemax were first. Showtime followed. Uh, testing as a second service in the same year. Okay, that could be why. Yeah, but, it seemed it seemed like in my neighborhood. I grew up in Toledo. Everybody had Showtime. Nobody had HBO. Like HBO, in in my perception, came later. But it's interesting that they started in the same year. 
I, yeah, I didn't know that because it was sort of like. Hmm. What year? What year did they start? Okay, so Disney was eighty three. Um, this seems about right. And and these things, these these services were rare when I was a kid. Like everybody had cable, and this was back when you had the A B box cable box. You know, this if you could sound afford. Right. It says seventy two, HBO. That doesn't sound right. I don't know about that one. I think it's like when it's in its infancy, maybe, but it wasn't available anyway. The, the bottom line matter. is, if you, had, if, you had, if you had one of these, you had some cachet in the neighborhood. Like, yeah. people, people were coming to your house to watch Superman 2. No, the like fact no that other, you could you know? see boobies on TV was huge. Yeah, it was big for us as teenagers. At least me, anyway. I'm not right. speaking for you. <laughs> um, speaking of, I was a little shocked because now, isn't there a thing where Spielberg has not made a rated R movie but isn't Schindler's List rated R, or am I thinking of someone else? Oh, no. Spielberg has definitely made rated R movies. Uh, Schindler's List is rated R. And um, Private Ryan Private, is Private Ryan R. is a hard so R. What yeah. was it that I was thinking about him where he just kind of keeps like nudity at a distance? Or Hmm. That is interesting. I, I might yeah. be some other director I'm thinking of, but... Because yeah, Chrissy, I, Chrissy uh, gets gets naked in the first minute of this, and movie. it's a silhouette though. It's tastefully done, I think. And, it is, um, but it just kind of also like I guess I had it in my brain that he was sort of this straight laced, clean director guy, which he is. I mean, is like his stuff doesn't ever, nothing ever feels gratuitous to me. That that is true. So so speaking of the nudity and so on, uh, Jaws released with a PG rating. Oh, because it predated 13. It predated 13. Yeah. Do you think if it were released in this day and age, would it get a 13 or would it get an R? I think it would have to get a 13. You think so? Because of Quint's death and um, the short, brief nudity, I think it would it would fall into the 13 range. A light 13, though. I mean... yeah. Yeah, I think it would end up with a 13. Yeah, it's interesting because there there just aren't this that many movies of this intensity that aren't rated R. There you was, know? There's another Oh, Airplane is rated R or rated PG. Oh yeah. And I'm like, "Really?" And there's like a lot of things I'm like, "This is PG cuz in my brain as a child of the 80s, PG is kids movies. If you take a kid to a PG movie, you got nothing to worry about." Right. Yeah, not not so <laughs> back in the 70s. Uh, I think it was, uh, what, Temple of Doom and Gremlins that kind of pushed into the third. That's that's what caused the 13. So to, Spielberg is the one who actually uh, ushered in the age of PG-13 because, uh, you know, those movies were so freaking inappropriate for a, a right. regular PG. Now, um, this won three Oscars. Uh, best Sound, okay. Best music, John Williams, I think we can all agree. <laughs> like, the music in this movie is so good. The score I, I, the score even, is half the movie in this movie. Yeah, like, I, taking the iconic Jaws theme out of it, right? Move that to the side. And then, but the rest of it feels like a John Williams, like, 
the the barrels have their own theme like there's these barrels if you haven't seen it that they attach to these sharks and the barrels when they come on on screen have their own theme with they're scooting across the water and and it's while none of them are as iconic as the ba-dump, but it's just is this like what did john williams do before this i mean like sugarland express first, with the the five well, days you, of christmas which yeah which was not great <laughs> right it was fine no, i think but, he had um, a long long career before this but i mean this this is definitely what catapulted both of those guys into being household names yeah and they're lifelong collaborators now i mean it just feels like he does pretty much everything that spielberg does right i mean I, there are rare exceptions yeah Another thing that struck me about this when I was watching it last night is is just how front and center that score really is. Like, the score is loud in this movie. And I hadn't really ever noticed it before because, again, I've seen it a million times and it's just a piece of the movie. But in the sound mix, the score is, like, right up in front of that, that sound mix. And... uh I don't want to say that that it's shoving the score down your throat because that's a negative connotation, but you are aware of that score, you know, the entire it, film. It doesn't play the back, you know, yeah. like it is not background music at all. You know, uh, it is Well, and this movie has a lot of like uh, we talked about in something evil the loud party scene. This movie has a lot of really loud just like 16 conversations, right? Early on going on between characters and stuff and it's it does get a bit loud and it feels realistic but also when you're used to watching movies nowadays where everybody's dialogue is clipped it is set apart you can hear everything clearly and this is like no 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 and that's that's a spielberg thing and i think this is the move the movie where he turns the corner and he kind of nails it because in this movie you you hear the pieces that those conversations that you need to hear and Mm -hmm. and like it'll continue on when we get to et the scene where the kids are playing dungeons and dragons it's the same thing they're all talking at once you know well we'll we'll talk about this right now then i don't know that i've seen et from start to finish (laughs) oh my god (laughs) i know that i have not seen close encounters from start to finish Jesus Christ. Um, I think I, I, I'm familiar with like two scenes from Close Encounters, right? The potatoes and then the ending. So I definitely have seen Saving Private Ryan from beginning to end. Well, that's good. At least you <laughs> but got it's that just, one. Like E.T. is another one where I'm I'm hoping that I've, I go into it with the same attitude I had about Jaws where I'm like, why is this so popular? And then just being like, oh, because it's it's excellent. Um, because there's so many things. I think the problem is, is that they're so in the zeitgeist and so in my memory that I don't feel like I have to bother watching them because they're just everyone's seen those. It's, what's the big no, deal? I mean, I, I I understand that. That that's kind of why I respect you for doing this show and and for doing <laughs> and for doing the Hitchcock thing because there are certain films I think like I feel the same way. Like I've never seen Chinatown. But I know a lot of the beats of Chinatown, you know, like there are certain ones that that, you know, the Godfather, everybody knows scenes from the Godfather. But I imagine there's a huge swath of people that never actually sat down and watched the thing. Yeah, I sat down and watched it like for the first time a few years ago. I'm like, that's one where I'm like, why? Why is this like that was the like I go into Jaws being like, well, why is this a big deal? Oh, it's excellent. That's why. And then I go into Godfather. I'm like, why is this a big deal? Not sure. 
<laughs> not sure. No idea. It's really boring. Um, the performances are great, but you know. So uh, let's uh, fa- let's rewind a little bit. We got a little political last week or yes. two weeks ago about gun control, and uh, let's just own it, right? Let's just own it. Let's talk about the couple things that this movie does that I think are really telling and really uh, apply well to a COVID-19 world. Uh, One is the group panic, right? And how like there's a point where everyone's in the the water and there's a hoax about a shark and everyone gets out and people get trampled and, you know, all of that. And, And, you know, you could pull a lot of things, but I think the thing that pissed me off the most was the mayor right the mayor it the the guy who runs the city right he, he's very much you've got there's a shark attack the first one was kind of a freak thing and he kind of starts shutting down the beach a bit a bit but then the mayor's like no we keep the beaches open it's summer we need this economy all right fine and then the child dies and he's like, okay, we definitely shutting down now. And the mayor's like, we can't afford to. It's July 4th weekend. We need this for the economy. And it's a running thing until July 4th rolls around and there's another shark attack, right? Right in front <laughs> of everybody at that point. Yeah. Right. And it was like, I wanted to punch the guy, but also I'm like, I'm drawing parallels to COVID-19, right? You know, you know? it is interesting, you know, like it, it, it's very much what uh, what Dreyfus says. You're going to ignore this problem until it swims up and bites you on the ass. And then it it does, you know. Yep. Um, it, one sec, just a quick aside, massive props for his anchor jacket, which I absolutely love. Like he wears that suit jacket and it's got the little anchors on it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> chef's kiss at that bad boy man. i wish i had one of those but yeah it in it's interesting because i can <sighs> taking the COVID 19 out of it just looking at this particular situation which you know there's a lot of political metaphors you can draw from this but i can in some ways empathize with the townspeople and their need for these summer dollars you know, like yeah. this, this this place is uh, it's a tourist destination. They've got this brief window of time every year to make their money to survive through the year. And if they if they shut it down, you know, they're done. They're done for the year. Like they're going to be broke. Like who knows if they can stay kind of COVID-19. You actually now, now that you're talking about it, if you shut everything down. Yeah. Businesses, and I, businesses will fail. People will be unemployed and so on. And so this guy is is pushing to, oh, my God, this really is a good COVID metaphor now that I'm thinking about it. Dude, props to you for, for putting <laughs> this together. But yeah. And so he feels like he's acting in the best interest of the economy and in the t- uh, best interest of, of the population and the townspeople and, and in particular the business owners um, by keeping the beaches open, even though there is this problem kind of simmering under the surface. But much like COVID-19, you can't necessarily see it. So and then you get the shark, right? Or not. They, they at one point capture a tiger shark and kill it. And it was like, we got him. We got the shark. And the the only shark expert around is like, mm, this doesn't line up. Like the shark we're talking about has a wider maw. 
this is a tiger shark. It's much smaller. It's like we can be totally sure if we cut the shark open. And the guy, the mayor is like, we can't do that. And he uses the excuse of we can't expose, we can't do this in front of the public. We'll just wait till the evening, right? Like, which is kind of what they do. But uh, the mayor, though, he even though he's saying one thing, He's saying, well, we don't want to freak out the public and cut this thing open. What he's really doing is, in my opinion, oh, maybe it isn't the right shark. But I I still want to open tomorrow. Right. That's that's exactly it. He doesn't want to know. Yep. And and, uh, he needs that plausible deniability. And I get like and I think. The the the, with going like to the COVID, I get the especially like the small business owner wanting to be open, right? And, you know, I understand that. There's always this moral dilemma of how many lives is that worth? Yes. Right? And and that's what this movie is posing to the, the people of the area is when, what, how many lives is too many? We, we lost this teenage girl. There's a young boy. And, and you would think the child would be the breaking point. No. Keep rolling. Only when they see it with their own eyes do they go, oh, oh, crap. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that that is very telling. And I think, um, you know, when talking about COVID, you could say, well, people are losing their businesses. And yet people who've lost loved ones to COVID or like yeah this is for real though I mean um, you know I lost a, a family member to COVID I'm like it's not worth it you know what I mean it's not worth it we'll be okay <laughs> just uh, so yeah I just uh, found that very telling yeah yeah I mean, yeah it, it's kind of blowing my mind what you just did kind of putting that all together because uh, it's absolutely true and appropriate and relevant and timely, you know, that that push and pull between, you know, economics and, and human lives, right. uh, is still, still relevant and very, very in our face on a day to day now. Wow. Well done. Anyway, did you, did you find yourself, did you, do you, did you have any empathy at all for the, for the townspeople and, and what I, they were facing? I mean, they're, no, they're, they're portrayed but, in a kind of a villainous way. Right. Like, like, I, and I would put that on the film. The film at no point tries to show you like someone boarding up and someone serving their kids just bread and water, you know, because the economy took a dump. Uh, like they don't take that other side of it. Yeah. And, so I think I could and would have like I get it like one of my favorite restaurants the restaurant my wife and I go to for Valentine's Day closed because of the pandemic you know what I mean like I can't yeah and I know people who've lost their jobs and it sucks so I definitely sympathize and I'm not saying that there's an easy answer yeah but in this movie they didn't Spielberg did not try to make the townsfolk uh, sympathetic in any way uh did so we talk about the scene where the mother of the boy who's died comes up and talks to uh Brody. Roy Scheider yeah Brody and you know it's like you knew that this was a shark attack and you opened the beach anyway and she slaps him 
and he had no point. This is just great character work. He doesn't point at the mayor and say, well, he told me to. He he takes a slap on the face. The mayor's like, it's not your fault. You didn't deserve that, I think is the quote. And he goes, yeah, I did. Like, and to me, that's what separates him from the mayor, right? Yeah. Like, after the death, he's like, I could have done more, and I didn't. And I think, like, I just great moment in the film uh it's one of those understated things that that's not a scene you see on youtube of like iconic jaw scenes right Right. you just don't you see the shark shoot one on quint and but it's one of those scenes where i'm like that's what i needed and then you have the scene where hooper comes over for dinner and they're oh, drinking and getting drunk. That whole sequence is great. The scene with Brody it, and the kid just kind of mimicking and, each other. Oh. It's so good. It's so good. It, because it's just so real. That's what makes this movie great. It takes time out to allow these people to be real humans. You know, Brody's wife saying, hey, you want to get drunk and mess around? You know, <laughs> like, yep. you know, just these <laughs> just these little asides that, that let I, you live inside their lives for a moment. You yeah, know, when, the kid got a boat for Christmas or his birthday, and he's out on the boat, not even left the dock. And Brody's like, uh, get back off, get off that boat. And his wife is like, honey, it's his birthday. He's going to save on the boat near the shore. He's like, oh, he kind of, she kind of talks him into it. And she's flipping through a book, and there's a picture of a shark, you know, biting through a boat. And then immediately she's like, don't you hear your father? Get your ass in the house. <laughs> Just love it. And, and But you're right, the the, the kid mimicking his father to me that was just it's gorgeous it's just a gorgeous short sequence and and i don't feel like i don't think there's a wasted shot in this movie i think that every moment in this movie contributes to the characters which then allow you to feel the suspense through the story you know and 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 even something as simple as that kid mimicking his dad and that little relationship that's established there between the two gives you more stakes in Brody and his survival. You know, like this man has roots. He has this family, you know, um, it's all built up so beautifully so that by the end, when the, the, when it's really hitting the fan, that tension means so much more than just the survival of this guy, you know, right. And and I wanted to talk about Brody because you were talking about themes that we've talked about in the past. And I, watching this time, really started seeing parallels between this and Duel in, in a lot of ways. And uh, when I was talking about Duel, I was saying about how, you know, it seemed like the main character was kind of emasculated and this was him overcoming his emasculation. And I think in Jaws, it's more subtle, but... But I think that Brody does have a similar arc, you know, like mm-hmm. he's he's established this fear of the water. Uh, he's impotent in dealing with the town's politicians, you know, like he he attempts to do the right thing. They shut him down. He can't push back. You know, he's not able to assert himself hard enough to do what he knows is the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um when they're on the boat, the other guys, you know, treat him as their lackey, more or less. Like, like he should be in charge of the situation, 
but he's really he's paying for it, he's, so to speak, through the town. Yeah, but he's really not in charge of the situation, and he's just at their beck and call to you know chum the slop and hey, untie this and tie that <laughs> off and go do that. Chief Chiefy, he calls him Chiefy, and uh, the whole sequence where they're comparing scars. And he kind of looks at his little scar and is like, yeah, maybe not. You know, like there's this there's this feeling that that Brody is made to be less than in terms yeah. of manliness than the other men in the movie. You know, and it, maybe it's just part of his character that he doesn't want to, you know, push himself on people and assert his opinions as much as, as others. And, and he's willing to just kind of play the back and... Uh, but, you know, that does eventually bite him in the ass because he's the one who gets smacked by Mrs. Kintner, you know, mm-hmm. um, for for what are essentially other people's actions. And so I did kind of see this parallel with Duel, where at the end of Duel, the guy is able to overcome the truck and, and Brody has the same thing. You know, he overcomes his fear of water. He's the one who takes of, the, the shark, shark down. The shark is charging right at him, like in the same way that the truck was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's it's subtle. But I think the parallels are there. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, it's just the the character work is, we talked about the soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 we skipped this time going through a beat by beat, you know, what happened in the film. And I think that's appropriate because people know this movie. You know, right. like, like just the way we just the way you knew this movie without, you know, having seen the movie. Um, so I did I did put together some questions for you. Oh, about, good. I about, love the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. All right. So Brody is the protagonist of the movie, I would say. Uh-huh. Right. Do you think Quint could be counted as an antagonist? He's an antihero, right? Maybe no. If if Brody's the protagonist, because he's doing this for money, right? So Quint is, but is he doing it for money? Is he? He really doesn't start doing hunting it? the shark until he gets paid. Yeah, but he knows. He knows they're going to come to him when he sees that shark on the dock, and he's going by in his boat, and he's looking yeah, and he's out. Smiling. He's looking down there, smiling. He knows that that's the shark, not bro. the shark. Yeah. He knows that they, you know, he put it out there because he knew they were going to have to come to him. Is he the antagonist? I, I know. I mean, the shark is right. The shark's the antagonist, and and maybe to a lesser extent, the mayor. Yeah. Um. It's kind of like saying, "Is Hammond the antagonist of Jurassic Park?" Mm. He's the hat. No, I, uh, no, I, I can, I can see, no, no, I can see your parallel. Okay, I, I can see your parallel because he's, he's determined that they're going to have their tour, and you know, like things are going wrong in the natural world. The storm is coming, but he's determined that they're going to move forward with it, and then he's left to deal with the situation. Um, so I can, I can kind of see that parallel, but I do think that Quint actively makes the situation worse. I, he, I. Th- he, yes. He blows that engine on that boat on purpose. Dreyfus is there telling him to crank it down. They don't need to go this fast. What are you doing? And he just pushes it even further. He knows he's going to blow that engine. Like, he's determined that he's going to have his face off with this shark. He's going to get revenge for all of his war buddies. He's going to, you know, hell or high water, live or die, 
you know, survival of the other people in his party or not, he is going to get that damn shark, you know? Yeah. And and he's willing to, you know, burn the world down and to get, get his that friends shark. killed in the process. Or friends, quote unquote. I mean, because they do develop a relationship. But at the end of the day, I, he doesn't care about these two, and which I found interesting because Quint dies. And after uh, Brody shoots the shark and it blows up, he starts laughing. And I'm like, but you just watched this guy die. And then Dreyfus surfaces and he starts laughing. <laughs> and they're like, where's Quint? Nope. All right, let's swim to shore. Right. <laughs> and I just was like, okay. But then again, this guy almost got you killed. <laughs> so, like from the jump, Brody's like, this boat is not big enough. This Being in this boat will get us killed. And Let's go get another bigger boat. Let's go back to shore. Let's radio in and get a bigger boat. Yeah. like It's like, we're going back to get a bigger boat, right? And uh, the whole time he's like, nope, this is my boat. I'm doing it my way. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I can't say that he was. He's just like, is Boromir the antagonist of Lord of the Rings? That's a better question. You know what I mean? Like he's not. It's the orcs. But he's not helping matters. Right. <laughs> you know? But at the same time, he cares very much for the hobbits. Anyway. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so in the novelization, I don't know if you're familiar with the novelization, but there are some, some differences. And one of them is that Brody's wife has an affair with Hooper. She sleeps. That would ruin this movie. <laughs> that would ruin this movie for me. That does not need to be there. Okay. Now, I didn't read the, the novel, and maybe it's done much better with plenty of context, which you can fit more of in a novel. But boy, that would ruin this movie for me. <laughs> just... I feel very much the same way. When I first read the book, I was like jaw on the ground, like what, what, well, what? That's like, have you read Jurassic Park? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's I, okay. So me, of course, I'm more familiar with the movie, and Malcolm to me is my favorite character. Probably most people's right. It, right now on Twitter, that's my face. When I went from Hitchcock to Spielberg, I went from Norman Bates, who's my favorite Hitchcock character, to my favorite Spielberg character. Close second is Rufio. I know you love him. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But in the book, Malcolm dies. And I'm like, what? And Hammond dies. And it's just like Grant and Sadler. I don't even know if Sadler's in the book. I can't honestly remember. But anyway... Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's funny because Crichton killed Malcolm in the first book and then magically brings him back to life in the second book. Per, because the movie came out. Because the movie came out, yeah. Yeah, and he made wrote, him he popular. Wrote the sequel and he just has him kind of say some line like, you know, rumors of my death were greatly exaggerated or something, and then they just yeah. go on like he never died. All right. <laughs> they funny. didn't plan, he didn't plan for Goldblum to just absolutely smash and do one of the most iconic performances in cinema history. So I get it. It's not really his fault. So back back to the chief's wife. So she eventually becomes the main character in the franchise. I don't know if you know this. Chief, in the film franchise? Yes. Chief is uh, in number two. Same actress? Yes. Yes. She was actually the studio head's wife. And, okay. uh, and, and, you, said, and, and you said Brody's in there too. 
Bro- Scheider is in, in two. Bro- Roy, Scheider, Roy Scheider is in two. They're both in two. Uh, three focuses on his kids at SeaWorld. And then four is, uh, by that time, Brody is dead. He's died of a heart attack in the film lore. And then uh, his wife becomes the main character, and she's down in the Bahamas with Michael Caine on a boat. And it's absolutely ridiculous. By that point, the shark's extended family are actively hunting the Brody family. Like, it really goes downhill quick. You know, so like, it turns into Are big any of-, of them worth watching? I would say maybe two. Uh, maybe with the expectation that you're not going to get, you know, the right. same experience out of it. It's it's, but uh, maybe two, and then definitely not three and four. Four is one of the worst films I think ever made. Like like <laughs> like seriously, I'm hard pressed to think of a worse oh, movie. I've got one for you, but than, uh, I'm not going to. I don't know. You haven't seen Jaws four. <laughs> That's fair, and you haven't seen the Clouds of Sils Maria. So, um, which is. I'm still, it's my new least favorite movie review coming soon, or it might already be out. Who knows? Time is weird. So, so in, in just the terms of Jaws itself, do you feel like enough is done with Ellen Brody to establish her as a decent character? Or do you think she exists simply in the service of being the chief's wife? No, she, she doesn't get much development at all. She's very much... I, I think she serves the purpose of adding to the value of Chief. Like, if Chief dies, he leaves a widow and a son. Yeah. Uh, I think she's there to almost play into his neuroses um, and to kind of add to them. <laughs> I don't know. Or tell like us about did... them, you know? Like, that's kind of her yeah. role, is to tell us what's wrong with the Chief. Yeah, and, and there's not a lot of... I don't know, trying to overcome those. I don't know. But, like, I definitely don't think that the character was strong enough. Yeah, I, so, I like, do if, think that their relationship is nicely portrayed. Like, the relationship between, so too. The, between the two of them is nice. It's like a warm, loving, you can tell they've been together for a long time, but you can tell they're still kind of into each other. Um, you, you know, like, I like that. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm kind of with you on her. Like, if you were to ask, you know, somebody which character is going to carry the franchise going forward... I think she'd be uh, like Hooper would be like number one for me. Yeah, because he's th- that was my favorite character. Uh, is Hooper? I-, I liked his balance. Uh, I liked his knowledge, but I also like how much he was like unsettled too. Right? I know sharks have been bit by a shark, but then when he looks at the remains of the first victim, he's like, <laughs> you know. Uh, there comes a I, moment when they're on the boat too, where he really realizes that he's he's out of his depth. You know, when Martin Brody says, "Hey, have you ever seen a great?" and he just says, "No," you know, like he cuts him yeah, off. It's immediate. It is like this is, and that's what I like much. too about this shark is that it's not even a supernatural shark. It's just this is a shark, a once in a century shark. Yes, you know, it's just like it's natural. It happened naturally. Maybe it's. I don't know why it hates people so much or snacks on them, you know. Could be, I don't know if it follows the same rules of, like, lions. You know, the reason lions eat people is because they're injured and can't catch other prey. You know, I don't understand. But this shark definitely does things not because it's hungry, 
because it comes back around, right? <laughs> it, it just got done eating Quint, and it's like, mm, more, sequel. more, and then it turns back around and comes after the rest of them. So, well, are you familiar uh, with the the shark attacks of 1916 that that they refer to in this movie? No. So this actually happened. Like a very similar situation happened uh, off the shores of New Jersey in 1916. A shark took up residence off this famous beach in New Jersey and just started chomping people. It would not go away. Um, and and it got even crazier because uh, so it, it ate a dude who was like in his 20s. And then a couple of days later, it ate another dude who was in his 20s. And then it went into like a like a tributary down into this creek that was adjacent to the ocean. And there were kids swimming in the creek and it ate a kid. Mm. And then somebody went in to try to get the kid's body out and it ate that guy. And, uh, and then a couple days later it took a chomp out of somebody else, but that guy survived. So it killed four people and, and one survived. And finally they took it out with like dynamite or something, you know, 1916 style. They were chucking dynamite in the water yeah. to get rid of it. But, uh, there is precedent for it, you know, like a like it's just easy pickings, you know, and it, yeah. they, get, they get a taste for it. And wow, these these bald seals are <laughs> plentiful. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep and they coming. These bright yellow things. I can see them for miles. Yeah. Delicious. They're like apple bars. Do you think that Quint minded getting eaten by the shark like in no, the moment not at all in the moment I, there it sucks to get eaten by a shark he's, yeah he's I'm yelling sure he's, and it hurts and you know he's i think beforehand he's fine with it like but it, until that first you know bites him in half and yeah. he starts any his performance while he's being is very like all the bluster and the macho-ness is gone he's yes. screaming so, and I think I, I think it's super effective. Uh, but up until that first jump, I think when he's running the boat dry, he's like, "It's me or the shark. One of us is going." Yeah, and and it doesn't matter which one. In some ways, I feel like he kind of thinks it's his destiny. I I think yes. like he feels like he's been carrying around this weight, and he owes a shark of death you know like like he has uh it's survival guilt right survivor's guilt like you walk around for mm -hmm. the rest of your life if you walk you know if you walk out of those windows of situations feeling like you got away with something that maybe you shouldn't have and and i think that in some ways quint was driven to put himself into situations where he could be eaten by the shark because he felt like that was something he owed the universe in some ways I don't know. I, I could be drawing too much into that, but uh, there's not there's not many other reasons for that speech to be in the movie. You know, like it's, yeah. it serves as a surface uh, motivation for Quint and why he does the job he does and goes after sharks and so on. But when you like, go it should be noted too if you haven't seen it, he's killed a lot of sharks. Like this isn't just I could probably catch a shark. This is a guy who's killed. A lot of sharks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so like digging deeper into the psychology behind it. Um, another thing that never occurred to me before this viewing was like, maybe, maybe he's, maybe he wants to get eaten by this shark, you know, like, 
or at least, you know, put himself in a situation where he could be, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think he's just, he's fine with it. Especially, I think initially, he's like, it's just going to catch another shark and kill another shark. It's fine. And I'm going to make some money off of it. But then when the shark turns out to be more than he bargained for, that's when his brain breaks yes. to me. This isn't just another shark. Uh, this is the per- the fishification, the personification, I don't know, of my hatred for all things shark. And uh, and I think once, you know, it rips off the barrel, I get when they have the barrels tied to the back and they have to cut them loose and it's dragging the boat as opposed to the boat dragging the shark. Um, I think right in that moment, he's like, <laughs> like something breaks <laughs> and it's just he's done. Yeah. So overall, uh, elevation wise from Sugarland Express to Jaws. Oh God! Yeah. What What are your thoughts? I mean, Sugarland Express is a good, competent film. There are great scenes in Sugarland Express. The the going around the building a second time. Uh, the whole thing with the porta potty. This is just those handful of great scenes, but then it's just one after another right like you said there's no wasted scenes um I th- and then when the movie ends it ends right you don't get him coming home and hugging his wife oh you made it i'm so glad it's him and his new best friend because they got to be best friends right i i let's ignore that jaws 2 exists these two guys are best buds for life for life yes absolutely right? because they already get along great like he comes over and him and Roy Scheider just immediate best friends. And then after their life experience, I think they're even more so, right? Um, like, I need the Buddy Shark movie of those two guys doing it again. But, um, yeah, I, it's, I don't know. I, I don't, Is this, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle? Um, yeah, But, I mean, obviously we know he goes on to, become arguably the greatest director of all time but to to have that much of a jump is like whoa it is it's like having an architect who's really really good at you know building mid-sized houses he's like i'm building these mid-sized houses and i can make some really nice mid-sized houses and then one day he just says let me take a crack at that sistine chapel you know and and then just knocks it out and that that to me is the leap you know there's competence and then there's genius and i think that this film is where he tips his hand and and and, you know everybody rocks back in their seat and goes whoa you know this is the first time that spielberg has emerged as spielberg and and uh i would like to say that it only gets better from here but it doesn't because hooks there well but like i've never i've never seen 1941 i'm totally unfamiliar with that but then you get Raiders E.T., Indiana Jones again with the Temple of Doom. We're so, heading I mean, into a gonna, good run. Like, The Color Purple is another one of my favorites. And I'll be, I have my, my dear friend, LaKendra, will be joining us for that episode because it is her favorite movie of all time. It is excellent. It's so freaking good. Um, and um, Go ahead. No, no. So, yeah, there, there's some real highlights, but there are some some, you know, misses in there, too. So it's not it's not yeah, like it's, a, it's none of which are hook. Um, so. <laughs> I, but I will never say a good thing about Ready Player One. 
but that comes from being as a fan of the book and the, the bastardization of it in film form. Sure. So, but that's, uh, I guess, you know, you, so what about, uh, I, I don't know what else to ask you because uh, I know it's your favorite movie. I All I can say is that every time I watch this movie, I see something new. Yeah. A- and this time I was paying particularly particular attention because I did put it up on, on the big screen. I've got a, a hundred inch pop-up screen and a, a projector uh, and I, it's not up all the time. It's not like I have a movie room, but I've got a nice mm-hmm. sound bar out there and I can pop it up in a matter of like five minutes and watch a movie on the big screen. And that has really gotten me through the pandemic. It was like the best investment I've ever made. Yeah. Um, and really it's not that much. It was like 600 bucks for the whole shebang. But uh, anyhow, I haven't really seen it blown up to this, to that size. And, and so I was noticing a lot of details like the anchors on the guy's uh, on the guy's jacket. And I noticed when when the mayor gets out of the car, there's a sign on his door that has his name on it. And it's like realty. And so that means that he's like a, a real estate owner, you know, in and in, part time mayor yeah. and part time mayor. <laughs> yeah. So he's got more motivation than just, you know, the townspeople. Uh, but what I really enjoyed this time was I was watching them with their cigarettes because everybody in this movie smokes like Hooper doesn't, but a lot of people do. And there were some moments with the cigarettes that I totally missed every other time I watched this movie when the deputy, mm-hmm. when all the guys are swarming and they're going to go out and hunt the shark on the, and they're all on the docks and stuff like the, uh, the deputy's outside and Brody throws a rock and the deputy comes in. He's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and Brody reaches out and like grabs the cigarette out of his mouth. And then they have a conversation and the deputy leaves and Brody just pops a cigarette in his own <laughs> mouth and starts smoking it. Never caught that before. Uh, you know, yeah, Brody's like, comfort with, like, getting into other people's uh, personal space. Like, when he pulls uh, Dreyfus's glasses off of him and then just sticks them in, his mouth, him in his mouth. puts them in his mouth. I loved that. That, to me, was like, these guys are already kind of best buds already. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm here for a good bromance, and I, I think that theirs was was awesome yeah i i totally agree yeah the mayor is constantly has an unlit cigarette like when he's talking to brody has it kind of palmed in his hand and he's got it like this cigarette that he's like waiting to smoke and at one point brody takes one of his cigarettes away from him and uh i don't know it just it was just kind of cracking me up these weird little character moments that i hadn't really caught before i i absolutely love it i'll watch it another 50 times in my life you know it's, it's it's just a brilliant film um so yeah, that's it. It's my favorite movie. Someone as, as as your your Jaws novice, it holds up. It just does. Like I mean, it's still good. And as much as I was going to be like, I'm going to see. Here's the thing about practical effects, right? <laughs> that shark, despite not being perfect, still looks great. Oh, you know. Oh, it works. Yeah, except for that one shot. You, it really works. And yeah, and but if you go and watch Lord of the Rings, what I would deem a masterpiece. There are still moments now when you go to it now and CG has progressed, you're going to be like, oh, like <laughs> it thinks it's just a little off. That uncanny valley sets in pretty quick. And I think, you know, this fake shark is better than CG. Oh, you know, yeah. Just CG ages anything terribly. Even modern. You've seen Meg, right? Of course. Yeah. Meg is awful compared to this. Like. Not even just story wise, but shark wise, and I th- I like how real this shark is. Like the times where uh, Hooper is stabbing with like a screwdriver or whatever, and you just get little bits of blood that come out. 
and it's all practical effects and it and it holds up to this day pra- you know, practical and, effects are always better look at aliens versus like the fourth alien movie where they moved to cg you know like it's it's so much better in the way it holds up and stands the test of time. You know, practical effects are always better. Even fakey looking practical effects are, are yeah. better than CG. I, 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 and I think there's a good balance. I think like uh, uh, Mad Max, Frida, what is it called? Fury Road? Yes. That's a great balance of practical and using the background you kind of fill out with everything else, but this the trucks and everything is it's real, yes. right? And I, I think there's, there's a balance to it nowadays, but the thing is, these practical effects, they hold up. And you mentioned the thing. Those oh. those effects hold up. Right? Some, some of the best good. of all time. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, I know that somebody who has never seen the thing could go into that movie today and sit down and watch it for the first time and have the same, like, oh, my God, that I had there's back in 1986, in you know, <laughs> like there's yeah. some gross stuff in that movie and, and it's jaw droppingly done. And uh yeah. So so yeah, the shark absolutely works. I, I don't think that a modern audience member who hasn't seen this movie should hesitate even for a second to sit down and watch it. Just go into it knowing that you're not uh you know you're going to see a movie from the 1970s. So it's not a slam bang action movie. Like you can't go yeah. into it you're not going to see a Marvel film here. You know, you're going to see like a film film. And so long as you go into it with that expectation, uh, you're in for a hell of a ride. Hell of a ride. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So I don't think there's anything else to say. You've probably seen it. And if you haven't seen it, take it from someone who really honestly had negative feelings about the movie. Like anytime people bring it up or I saw that poster in my friend's house, I'm like, why do people like this? <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's it's still great and it's still worth your time, especially in the dark and a cozy. I had I'm a headphone guy. I really I got I got so many headphones. I got I got headphones. Okay, I got I got headphones. And so I was wearing my Bear Dynamic DT seven seventy pros and watching this movie while laid back and that cello from the Jaws theme sounds like it's just behind you and you can feel it in your eardrums luscious i just it's beautiful uh go watch the movie so next week uh i'm excited i've never seen it i'm excited Uh, too i i have seen it i saw it at a young age and it didn't make a lot of sense to me i saw it when i was older and i kind of understood it more but i think uh i'm going into this much colder than I'm going in, than I went into Jaws. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do not have this movie memorized, you know. The things I know the most about this are from the movie UHF, uh, which is one of my all-time <laughs> favorite films starring Weird Al Yankovic. Wheel uh, of Fish. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, where they, he shapes the potatoes. This is this means something. This is important. Uh, and then I, that's about all I know. So uh, we're going to watch Close Encounters of the Third Kind from 77. Who's in this? Um, Richard Dreyfus again. Oh, I love Richard Terry Gar. Terry Gar is, uh, is she his wife? I think she's his wife. Um, yes. There's a, a famous French guy that you might recognize. His name is escaping me. Francois Truffaut. Truffaut, yeah. Um, Bob Balaban, who looks more familiar I believe he was in Street Fighter, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's his claim to fame. 
<laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, and this is the beauty of Spielberg greater than symbol Hitchcock. I just, it's just, there hasn't been a dud. I mean, something evil was at least short. Yeah. Um, and I don't regret watching it at all. And uh, so we're going to have some fun. So join us in two more weeks as we take a look at Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And we'll see you later. Bye, y'all.